For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me. Your favorite troglodytes, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, let's go back to the beginning. Oh, my goodness. Not the beginning. Holy moly. That's a long way back. I'm I'm not going all the way back to Genesis. Okay, good. But I'm going to go back to some of the roots of Catholic philosophy. Mm. And I want to talk about our brother, Thomas Aquinas. Woo! Okay, he's our favorite. So you don't get much more rooted than than Saint Thomas. That's right. That, that's he's kind of the always fo- the gold standard. That's kind of the foundation that everything else is built on. So let let's take a step back and take a look at Thomas and what Thomas has taught us and how that generated modern Catholic philosophy. Well, that that's such a great that is a great beginning because Saint Thomas Aquinas and in, in his. Uh, I really through his life of holiness and virtue, but but really in his writings, which is what we're probably going to focus on, and what follows is that he really was uh, he he's arguably the most brilliant thinker um, that that has come around. Even though, and despite the fact that he lived eight hundred years ago, yeah, yeah, his uh, philosophy still still stands to a good extent. Yeah. I mean. There's obviously been a lot of philosophical movement and a lot of philosophical movements yeah. since him, but um, you know, you, you you can pretty much take anything that's said now and go back and compare it to what St. Thomas said, and and there's a dialogue there. I mean, right. you know, he he definitely kind of holds his own in in the face of just about every kind of philosophical movement that comes up. Yeah, absolutely, and you know. When I think about his writings, and of course the uh, this this will sound familiar to I think a lot of people listening, but his seminal work that comes up all the time is the Summa Theologiae, um, the summary of theology, and uh, in it, uh, what's remarkable is is his ability to, to synthesize the best of pagan philosophy, especially most notably Aristotle, but then also drawing from the, the uh, Catholic tradition and sacred scripture, um, and then positing this voluminous work. I usually I see it in like five volumes, right? Um, if in a in a hard copy, it's you can you can actually read it for free online at newadvent.org, where there's a ton of there's all kinds of writings by the fathers of the church, the summas there, um, the Catholic Encyclopedia. That's a hundred years old, so that's that's also very informative and interesting to see how things maybe have changed a little bit. And and when you see it on a bookshelf, I mean, obviously you're not going to get the same effect if you see it online. But when you see it on a bookshelf, it can look really intimidating. I mean, you know, five. It looks like an encyclo- set of encyclopedias. Exactly. I mean, exactly. It looks like textbooks. But yeah. you know, if, if if you take it and you read it, one you know one question or even one article at a time. 
it's it's great food for thought. And mm-hmm. and the reason why is because of of really what it is, how it's written. It's not a it's not a textbook, and it's not a series of essays. Mm, it's a right. series of discussion notes right. for the medieval university. So you have to understand mm-hmm. a little bit about how medieval universities were conducted, and and how lessons were taught. And what the Summa Theological was, it was really preparatory notes. It was it was notes for students to prepare for classes. So um, and and so the way a medieval class went, the, you you had the the class divided into to kind of junior students and senior students. Hmm. And so the junior students, th- there was a, a question that was posed, and it, it was a, a disputed question. And so the the class like, does God exist? Does God exist? And everybody knows the answer to that question already. Where these questions came from was was gen- generally the, um, the the book of sentences. Oh, by so, Peter Lombard. By Peter Lombard, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, not not. Completely, totally from from Peter Lombard, but for the most part, you know that that's that was where sort this, of the backbone, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that was the backbone theological text, and so you had these these questions and answers that that Peter Lombard wrote, and everybody had read that. Everybody knew the answer. Does God exist? The answer, of course, is yes, God exists. So the the answer is not the the answer is not the main event. The main event is the argument around the the uh, mm. the, the, the the question. So um, the junior students would go first, and they would present the the kind of contrary to the uh they, they they got the job of trying to argue against the correct answer right right you know you might call it devil's advocate <laughs> even. right exactly yeah, yeah. so does god exist well no he doesn't exist um you know the only thing that exists is is physical material i don't i don't have you know that question memorized to know mm-hmm. what what the what the objections to that that statement would be um and then after the junior students, um, next the senior students would answer those objections. Right. And so, um, you know, they would come back and, and answer all the objections. And then the, the teacher would come in, presumably St. Thomas, mm-hmm. and he would say, he would give the answer again. He'd restate the answer, and usually with some form of authority. So he'd he'd mm. restate. So it wouldn't just be Thomas's opinion about the answer, right? But it would be based on scripture or based on you know the the most mm-hmm. quoted source outside of scripture in the uh, Summa. You know what it is, Tim? No, Augustine. It's, oh, it's okay. Not, yeah. It's not the philosopher. It's Augustine. Yeah. So well, that's what he calls uh, Aristotle in there. He calls him the philosopher, which means Aristotle. Right, right. So so then he would give the answer and then he would say, and I say, and, and he would give mm. his reasons for, for why it is. So, you know, the meat of Thomas's thought are always in that, you know, this is what I say section mm-hmm. of it. But really the objections, the back and forth, that's just as valuable in some ways and in some respects. Oh, so, yeah. So when you read the when you read the Summa, the, the best way to read it, um, I guess there's kind of two ways to read an article. You can either go with, you know, reading the question and, you know, for the most part, you already know the answer. But if you don't, you can cheat and, and look at what, what, what the, what the <laughs> right. actual answer is. Right, right. But then going through the, the objections and the, the answers to the objections and then finally reading the, uh, you know, the, the but I say part. Or you can start with the but I say part and then read the objections back and forth. So um, and, and unfortunately, almost all the editions of the Summa I've seen, none of them are laid out that way. They're, e- mm. they're, they're usually laid out with the objections. Mm-hmm. And then the but I say, and then the answers to the objections. Oh, so, interesting. So you always have to kind of flip pages back and forth. But uh, you know, if you if you do the if you do the divine office every morning, you're used to flipping pages back and forth. Right, which I do. I, I love the divine office. <laughs> the uh, you know, it's so it's so valuable. I'm glad you brought up how that the structure of the summa 
because <clears throat> some of that seems in our contemporary setting a uh, very difficult to do um and and almost a forgotten um pedagogical approach to learning which is to raise a question a question that has you know two or more possible answers to it and then requiring the person to respond or read responses that are contrary that give get, that give different answers that are uh, opposing answers and I think that's so helpful because you by putting yourself by sort of being able to suspend your own judgment to enter into an opposing view to examine it on its own merits and from that point of view is invaluable to really understanding the topic at hand. And today, and it almost sometimes that's presented as like a psychological harm, like reading, you know, reading something or being or being asked to put forth a position that you don't personally hold like that's some kind of harm. Right. And, you know, it, it presupposes that there are correct answers to these questions. Yeah. Too. Even that's and up it, for grabs now. Exactly. And circles. I think that's I think that's an, an important pedagogical tool, too, that, you know, there, there are no questions without definitive answers in, in the summa. Um, and, right. and I think I think that lesson in itself um, that, you know, you're going to have some questions that are ponderable. Um, you know, that, that are mysteries, um, some questions out there that, that there really is no answer, but they're few and far between, um, you know, for the most part, the questions that get raised there, there's usually an answer to them, but the, the real, the real question is why, you know, mm. and, and why and, and how, and diving into that, that's where the meat of, of thinking takes place. So I think, you know, kind of understanding that, yeah, we may know the answers to a lot of things, but the, the why and the how still needs mm. to be explored. Um, that, that's a valuable insight in and of itself. Yeah. I, I, I think along the lines too, of, um, when those, when objections are being raised, it's very important. It's really, a, I would say not just important, it's essential that when one, one explores the objections, that we're raising the toughest, very best objections that exist. So in our contemporary setting, let's take, say, abortion. So obviously we're pro-life, very pro-life. and But not everyone is, right? Some people are pro-choice, pro-abortion. If we're going to really advance the pro-life movement, advance the sanctity of life, um, then it's we can't just simply... Sh- you know, sort of plug our ears to the to, to those we disagree with, but it, rather it's listening carefully to their best arguments, understanding them in the terms in which they're being offered, and then responding to those objections and trying to overcome them. We can't just uh, dismiss those we disagree with. Right. And because the summa is a, a summation of you know, kind of what the arguments are in class, the objections generally are the best objections. And, and, mm-hmm. and they've, they've got kind of a perennial character to them. Um, you'll see these objections come up that you'll hear in the voice of, you know, for instance, yeah, when we're evil talking exists, about, so God doesn't exist. Right. I mean, exactly. That's a quick, that's a quick one, but 
Exactly. So you'll you'll hear these objections come up in the in the context of of you know kind of the the, the new atheists and Richard Dawkins and those types of people. They'll oh, be yeah. reiterating the same objections, and you know you've got a you've got kind of a, a contrary position spelled out there. Um, sometimes it takes some deciphering through the uh, through the the medieval metaphysical jargon, and uh, you know I think we'll we'll get into that a little bit here in, in a few minutes of uh, kind of what some of that jargon is. But the best the best objections. Um, Thomas does a good job of, of kind of giving those in, in very summary fashion. These mm-hmm. are the best objections to this, this question. And then this is, this is how you, you kind of counter them. And with that, we're going to take a break here on the Catholic cave. You're listening to the Catholic cave on Catholic radio. Indy. You're listening to Catholic radio. Indy converting the culture to Christ through radio featuring 100% Catholic programming 24 seven. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy has a great new lineup for your lunchtime listening. At noon on Mondays, it's Beyond Damascus with Dan DeMott and Aaron Richards, sharing the life-changing testimonies of ordinary people serving Christ in His Church. Tuesdays, it's Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler, serving up samples of some of the best Catholic podcasts available on the internet. Wednesdays, it's Catholic Jukebox Indiana, an hour of contemporary music with a Catholic message. On Thursdays, join Tim O'Donnell, Mark Tuttle, and Joseph Tomasian in the Catholic Cave for a lively discussion of philosophical thought with a heavy dose of Catholic wisdom. And Friday, it's the Bishop Strickland Hour, with Bishop Joseph Strickland of the Catholic Diocese of Tyler, Texas. Just some food for thought on your lunch hour from your friends at Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm still Timothy O'Donnell with Mark Tuttle and our trusty sidekick and producer Kent Blanford. And uh, we are taking a look at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. I always want to hear like the Ah! angels sing. There we go. Thank you, Kent. Uh, yeah, the gold standard when it comes to Catholic philosophy and theology. Uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to in, uh, in this section, bring up a uh, great Catholic philosopher, very prolific author and speaker. He's got a lot of good content on YouTube, and that is Dr. Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T. And I think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with his name, maybe read some of his work. He's got a couple of, uh, he's got many, many great books, and he writes so accessibly. So he's got one of those rare, that kind of rare genius that he can take very, very complex things and then um, I almost call translate them into stuff for my level, you know, which is the basics. I need the basics. Right. I'm a simple man, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and Thomas does, you know, St. Thomas does need some, some translation down to, I think the, uh, the, the level of us mere mortals when it it comes to to thinking through these issues, because, um, he is called the angelic doctor for several reasons. One of which is he, he does, he is able to write at the the very high, highest level about the highest things. Right. Not only is he a genius, um, you know, but he was a medieval genius. And so um, he was he was thinking along the lines of medieval metaphysical philosophy. Right. And, right. Right. you know, for, for most of us, we're not even we're not even well versed in, in metaphysics generally, much less medieval metaphysics. So Correct. that takes some translation. It does take, take some uh, 
translation into you know when he's talking about substance and accident oh, when yeah. he's talking about um ontology yeah and he's talking about when he's Let's talking throw about some, uh, potency, big words out there and potency right? and act you know it, it, oh, it yeah. does take some uh some 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 translation so um you know let's, let's dive in a little bit into into some some kind of basic medieval metaphysics um of, of how the world works so first off tim i'm going to throw the the term metaphysics out at mm-hmm. you how would you define metaphysics oh well i'd start uh like uh, a good place to start usually is to break the word down uh word that we're not familiar with into any sort of roots and i would say metaphysics is right the composition of two parts meta and physics physics goes back to well, i would trace that back to aristotle Aristotle, physics simply means the natural or natural world. So it's the study of the, so when we study physics, especially in the philosophical sense, but also I would say in this, in a scientific mode as well, um, it's as a, as a subgrouping of that would be, you're looking at uh, the, the world around us, natural processes, natural effects of things and trying to understand their cause and effects. And so that would be nature or physics Meta is suggestive of what comes prior to that. And by prior, one might also think about what are what sort of um, what are the, uh, the, the the structures behind or what's more what are some of the basic principles or more basic realities on which the uh, the nature rests or relies upon for its existence. Right, right. The the, the preconditions. So, yeah. So yeah. you know, what what are the the necessary things that that we need to be able to have um, the natural world, and we need to what what are the things that that, that you you sort of have to to kind of what what are the basic things that you have to understand to be able to talk about how how nature works and uh, you know th- things like like motion um, you know things like matter um, things mm-hmm. like you know to a certain extent causes um, mm-hmm. cause and effect you know th- those types of things so so medieval metaphysics um, especially around Saint Thomas um, it, it the the two sources for it come from Greek philosophy um, mm-hmm. Plato really sort of loomed large um, on the scene in medi- medieval metaphysics up until about the time of St. Thomas. So St. Thomas lived in a, in a really unique time period. I, I think it's a great question of history to a certain extent of how much is history— What year did he die? Catholic trivia, 1253? No, he, I think it was later than that. Something like that. Yeah, but, but anyway, he lived in the 13th century. lived lived and wrote in the the 13th. Kent's century. Kent's gonna Google it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, <laughs> Kent will come back with an answer here. All right, I, I expect a free donut if I guessed right. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, Plato sort of loomed large mm-hmm. on the scene up until St. Thomas. St. Thomas lived in a, a golden age when the, the works of Aristotle... Influential on Augustine, and of course he's pulling from Augustine, as you mentioned. That, that's correct. Right. That, that, right. That, that's correct. So, uh, All right, here we go. All right, drum roll, please. Okay, St. Thomas Aquinas lived, looked like... Oh, he died in 1274. Born in twelve twenty five. Okay, so I thought uh, he was. I thought he was. I thought he was alive and and sort of the mainstay of what he was doing was the mid mid thirteenth century. So all right, um, I'm at the point now. I can't rely on my memory as much. <laughs> <laughs> I've never. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, as far as like facts like that, you know, dates oh, and things yeah. like that, I've I've never been good at remembering the exact dates. I can remember. <laughs> I can remember the 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 general, you know, half century or so. I always did in school. I always did better on essays than like the multiple 
choice of like you know what did he die in 1274 or 1272 or you know uh, yeah. man, I'm not but gonna you know what, with St. Thomas actually that's a very useful you know he lived pretty much from from <clears throat> about 1225 to about 1275 so right mm-hmm. right that middle section of the uh, of, of the 13th century not very old by today I know I was just thinking yeah. about that you know he, he he was only you know he's right right at about 50 years old and right. like I'm like mm-hmm. wow if I could only accomplish half as much as he did right <laughs> <laughs> I'm north of 50 and it, it's just not going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so Aristotle had, it was reintroduced into the West, um, partly through Venice. Um, so, so the Venetians were, were trading with the Byzantine empire and trading with the Islamic world and mm, through that right. trade and through, um, the crusades and then partly through the reconquista of Spain. So, um, right. you know, the, 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 you know, Spain, you know, if you think about Columbus, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. That, right. that date I can remember. Um, that 1492 is also the Battle of Grenada. So that was Ooh, the, uh, the, okay, the last, okay. the, the last step in the, the, the re, the reconquista. So, okay, yeah. um, so the, the, the Christians kind of moving the Muslims out once and for all from, mm-hmm. uh, from, from Spain, all of those events combined to make Aristotle more accessible. And, and so Aristotle was translated. And so St. Thomas was among the first generation of scholars that had access to a much broader corpus of, of Aristotle. And so right. he, he was sort For, of in a privileged... been centuries. Yeah, exactly. And so he was in a privileged position to be able to not only study Aristotle, but study um, the Muslim and Jewish scholars. So, so uh, Avicenna, Averroes, Maimonides. Um, mm-hmm. So, so scholars that had lived in the Muslim world and had had access to Aristotle had thought through a lot of these. Saint Thomas was able to read them as well, and um, you know, them they they were translated into Latin because of all these same events. Um, mm-hmm. And so he had access to these as sort of one of the first generations of sort of scholars. That, that was now sort of able to, to reintroduce Aristotelian thought. And that was radical because, you know, Arist- very radical. Aristotle was not a Christian. Um, yeah, as pagan. much as, yeah, you know, in, if, if, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, we're, we're kind of jumping around here a lot. But oh, that's okay. I'm, I'm tracking. <laughs> if, you, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Yeah. They, they talk about Aslan, the, the, the lion, and they say, well, you know, after all, he's not a tame lion. When I think of Aristotle, I always think of that because we have this tendency to want to try to tame Aristotle and turn him into a Christian. And Aristotle was was nothing of the sort. He was a pagan Greek. He was the he was the tutor of Alexander the Great. Right. And so, you know, to a certain extent, he taught Alexander the Great everything Alexander the Great knew. Right. Um, <laughs> and so he yeah. was not a tame. A- Aristotle was brilliant. Yeah, Aristotle. He had his shortcomings. To be sure. Yes, but he was not a he was not a, a tame pagan by any stretch. He was a no. full blown pagan, right. and uh, and and so there was a lot of controversy of reintroducing and and bringing the thought of somebody like Aristotle into the medieval university, um, which was Christian, which was Christian, and um, you know, Catholic. His, there was no other kind his, of Christian. His his books were uh, were were put onto the forbidden um you know the forbidden texts list actually oh wow actually yeah, aquinas that's right. some of some of aquinas's sort of uh, more political back dealings were making trying to make aristotle acceptable for the university climate so he had to go to bat for aristotle to a certain extent and what st thomas was able to do was show that 
No, Aristotle's philosophy is not incompatible with Christianity. Not only is it compatible with Christianity, but in a lot of ways it elucidates and explains Christianity better than um, the the Platonic philosophy that was there that that um, the West mm. had inherited from from Saint Augustine. Yeah, that that is a fascinating um, set of events to be sure. So studying the life of Saint Thomas Aquinas is is certainly worthy too. And I'll I'll make uh, I'll make some book recommendations. I don't always do that, but I'm gonna one book about Saint Thomas Aquinas that I highly, highly recommend is by the great Catholic author G.K. Chesterton and his book on St. Thomas Aquinas called The Dumb Ox. And if you're lucky, if you're looking for that online, um, I have seen it paired with, it, you know, sort of bound together with uh, Chesterton's other great biography on another great saint on St. Francis of Assisi. So you can kind of get in one volume both biographies if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking out there. But I would read both biographies. But that's arguably often when people ask, you know, when I've seen online, what's the best book on the life of St. Thomas Aquinas? It's, it's Chesterton. And it's certainly the most enjoyable. Because, it's a great one. Yeah, because yeah. you can Chester- read it over and over and exactly, over. Exactly, because Chesterton's style and uh, you know his, his his witticisms. He's so so engaging, and oh, yeah. um, you know you tough to find a better exactly. writer. Than they're not they're not Chesterton. very they're not very large. Neither of those oh, two right, biographies right, right. are very large. So and the the pages keep moving because because as I said, he's just so readable. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, Chesterton. It's not not dry by by any stretch. Well, and I'll, I'll make a quick plug here because I know it won't be too long before we got to take a break, but. For those, since we did bring up Aristotle several times, I would say the best single volume on Aristotle is by another great, great philosopher of the 20th century, Mortimer Adler. And uh, that's we did a whole show on him. And uh, he converted Catholicism there at the end of his life. Praise God. And his book called Aristotle for Everybody is a fantastic uh, entry point to Aristotle and again it's kind of a that single you know relatively thin volume 150 pages or something and he makes he's another gifted writer that makes the complex accessible to uh, simple people like me right and and these complex ideas that are in Aristotle these are the metaphysical ideas that we started this whole segment talking about those those sort of ideas that are the preconditions for um, studying nature. And so, um, to right. under, to, it's uh, essential. Exactly. Right. So to understand St. Thomas, we got to understand at least a few of those. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to jump right into medieval metaphysics. And we'll be back with more of the Catholic cave right after this. At Catholic Radio, we love to hear from you. Call us anytime. Just recently, we found this message on our voicemail. I'm a non-Catholic that listens to your Catholic radio station, and I just wanted to thank you guys. I listen to uh, Catholic Answers, and I'll correct this sometimes, and I think her name's Teresa Tommy. I listen to her, and uh, another show or two. I appreciate it. Call us at 317-870-8400, and let us know what you're thinking. I just called to say, you know, I'm not a Catholic. I listen to your station. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. 
So, the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Tim O'Donnell with Mark Tuttle, Kent Blanford, and we've been talking about St. Thomas Aquinas and all things Aquinas. And uh, Mark reminded us right before the break that uh, we do like to kind of wander around a little bit in our, our conversations, Mark. So so he reminded us that uh, we our purpose was really to uh, get at, at medieval metaphysics. Um, at least one of the purposes. So let's uh, let's go back to that before we drift off into another direction. Right, right. And so Saint Saint Thomas adopted a view that that is known as formal realism. Um, so basically, the first question you got to ask if you want to study stuff is: Is there stuff? Right. Do do, do right. things actually exist? And and mm-hmm. it may sound like a, a silly question. It may sound like one of those. Uh, those questions that philosophers ask themselves as they gaze at their own navels, um, you know, (laughs) doing nothing. That image always kind of like it's unsettling. (laughs) Actually was, you know, but, but there's actually several different answers and it's important to, to kind of know where, where, where you're coming from, because on, on the one hand, you can say, yeah, it's pretty obvious that the stuff around us exists, but our only access to the outside world is through our own senses. Right. And so, and so we have to, kind of understand how do our senses interact with the stuff that's out there in the real world? Does the stuff out in the real world exist? Is it all just just sort of stuff that's playing in our own mind? Do we have access to it? Do I share the same um, impressions and and sort of sensations of reality that, that you share, Tim, and that our listening audience shares? How does all of that work? And so St. Thomas's answer to that is, is what, what's called formal realism. And that is the, by, by the term realism, you can guess that he's answering that yes, Real stuff really exists. That's the the, the first. Yeah, we're not of, brains in a vat. Exactly. They're they're or trapped inside the matrix. If you like the Matrix movies, right? And and the um and exactly and and the, and the table in front of me, the the, the microphone, is really the, there. The sound of those those <laughs> things really really are there, and they're really there because they were produced and created by by something outside of us, right? Mm-hmm. And and it could be that it's just simply the universe that's always existed, or it could be God. We've, we're not quite to that point yet, but we at least have to presuppose that stuff does exist. And not only, but but the formal realism, it's not formal as in like formal dining with, with fine china and, and uh, you know, nice place settings and all that. Mm-hmm. It's formal realism because it presupposes forms. Mm-hmm. That 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 sort of um, that, that sort of make up the essence of what what things are. So um, so to understand forms, we gotta we gotta dive in a little bit deeper and get to um, if you got the question of okay, there is stuff. Then you've got to ask okay, so what is that stuff? And to understand what something is. Aristotle said you have to understand the four causes of things. So the, yes. the, 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 the four sources to a certain extent. Those are, that's the next level of metaphysical concepts. Mm-hmm. And those four causes are, you, to understand something, you have to understand its material cause. So you have to understand the stuff that it's made of um, to, to a good extent, the, 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 the matter. Um, so the, the material cause of it, you have to understand its formal cause, which is the, the, the shape that it has, the, the boundaries, the, 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 the sort of 
I, I guess sort of the, the, the container that the matters held within that might be the, the, the best way to, to kind of get it at form. And then you have to understand sort of its initiation. What was the initial action that brought this thing about? Um, so what, what, what's sort of the, the initiating action of this thing? And that's the initial cause. And then you have to have the, the, the final cause or the purpose. Um, so this table's for setting a cup, cup of coffee on. That's really why it exists. All of those things that came about because a craftsman built it. So the efficient cause and the formal cause both go back to a worker, right? So And, mm-hmm. and then, then the material cause and the formal cause um, – the form and shape it was 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 crafted by the worker, so that also kind of goes back to the to the worker as well. But the material cause then goes back to nature. Um, it came from wood, and it's made of of of. Well, actually, this one might be plastic. Looking at it, but um, yeah. it's got some kind of laminate on top. Right, of it. it's wood like. It looks like. It almost looks like wood, <laughs> but those are the four causes, and and they're 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 linked together in a way that the the, the formal cause, and the 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 final cause, the purpose are, are linked together. The efficient cause and the material cause are linked together. So there's some logic behind how these causes sort of fit together, but formal realism. Um, presupposes that existence of a form. And that's why it's called formal realism. Um, you know, th- this is unlike um, something like Bertrand Russell might say, that there's stuff out there, but it's just sort of a biz- it's just sort of a buzzing whiz of, of confusion, I think was, was sort of what, what he, he said everything was. Um, you know, the, the, the shapes and, and colors and all of that, our minds actually bring that to it. So the, the, the forms of things don't mm-hmm. actually exist. In, and, and so on the one hand, you've got formal realism. On the other hand, you've got what's called ideal realism, which is Plato, right? So Plato um, believed that stuff existed, but he believed that stuff was actually replicas of ideas and so so um you know reality was in a in a form of 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 ideals and so that's really idealism but in plato's world the idealism sort of informed matter and so you you had you had material things but it was uh, it was sort of subservient to the ideas or forms that were behind them where the forms are really kind of what make the things the things for saint thomas aquinas Mm. i'll tell you where i'd like to go because that you said a lot. I like to go to. I've discovered it recently. I don't think it's been out there like years and years and years, but it's been out there maybe a year or more. Um, someone could correct me on that. But it's there's the uh, Thomistic Institute, um, and I'm referring to their YouTube videos that they're producing even now as we speak, new ones. And the Thomistic Institute. It uh, resides at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> That's physically located uh, near Catholic University of America, the uh, National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. They're all kind of within walking distance of each other. Oh, even the House of Studies for the Marians of the Immaculate Conception are right there. Well, this Dominican House of Studies is the formation house for the Dominicans, the uh, order of preachers. So uh, men who are going through seminary um, are on the eastern province, if I understand how that operates, um, are sent there for their seminary formation. Well, they've been producing, I have found, I have found just remark. I think they're remarkable, just these outstanding 
uh, short little five to 10 minute uh, YouTube videos uh, called Aquinas 101. And these are just outstanding. You can, uh, you can watch them. You can listen to them. Um, watching them, there's not really as much a physical presentation. So I actually kind of put them on and play them in my car through my Bluetooth and listen to them. And they go into some of the, the very uh, topics that we're covering today with Aquinas. So if you want to go even a little bit further and hear um, different analogies on how this is uh, Aquinas's philosophy and theology is laid out, I, I can't recommend that uh, highly enough. Uh, the Thomistic Institute uh, videos on YouTube. Right, because they break each of these concepts down into 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 to, to small segments right. that, that are easy to, to digest rather than... They're one... brilliant in their simplicity. Exactly. I mean, that's the side of someone who's really smart as you can take, again, the complex and make it really accessible. Um, so yeah, that, that's a great resource. Right, right. So, so on the one hand, you have the, the four causes on the other, the other really important metaphysical concept is, is how things, um, how things kind of come to be to a certain extent. Um, and, and the, oh, the being itself, I think is a big part of like Aquinas's right. treatise on metaphysics. Exactly. And, and the, the heart of the matter is things can either be or they can be potentially be so um and that was really really clumsily stated because <laughs> I was trying to transition off of, off of what you had just said so so the, the the two terms are potency to be or not to be i think right. shakespeare right 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 <laughs> but but the, the the two metaphysical terms are potency and act yes um you know that that you have things that that actually are so um, the, 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 they are here now, and, and so they, they have kind of fulfilled, to a certain extent, what they could become. Um, and then the potency is the potential for it to become something else, or, or the, the, the potential for it to, to change over time into something else. So this goes back to the, the roots of, of Greek philosophy, where the, the central question of Greek philosophy, even before Aristotle, was how do we account for change in the universe? Um, it may sound like a strange question to ask, but you know, we notice that things change. Um, mm -hmm. How do you find truth out of that? Um, how do you find what things actually are, what the, the truth of things are when things are either constantly changing or things are kind of coming into existence and out of existence? Um, when, when you see that, nothing seems constant nothing seems fluid and so I, your your two sort of alternatives are either everything's in a constant change of flux or everything's permanent um and so how do you account for the fact that somehow things are somewhere between being permanent or being in a constant change of flux and constantly changing and, and unstable and so aristotle's answer to that was everything is becoming so, um, so his, his answer to that is, is basically everything is on a movement from what it could potentially be to what it actually is. So, so mm. matter is pure potency. Um, so if you, if you have just matter, which is actually an impossibility, but let's hypothetically say you have just pure matter. Oh, I think he calls that prime matter. Right, right. But that doesn't really exist because all matter has to have a form. So the, the minute you even think about matter, it begins to have a form and a shape. But what, what, whatever shape that matter could take, that becomes its actuality. 
And so as, as things move from being just pure potency, prime matter, to their end form, which is sort of their, their uh, we were talking about the four causes a little bit ago. That's the purpose for what it is. That That's sort of its end shape that, that something takes. So um, so the, 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 the table, it, it moves from being just a bunch of mush to being a tree and wood, and then that is further shaped into the table, and then the table is put to use that it's supposed to. And so when the table puts it, is, is put to use, that's kind of getting close to what it's, it's sort of the final act. It's, it's final actuality really is the, the table really is a place for sitting down and having dinner or having discussion that that's kind of close to it's, it's sort or of putting my feet final, up on or putting your feet up on when no one else is around. Yeah, it's getting close to its final final actuality of, of what the table actually is. Or it could just be for holding your coffee cup. We're going to take a break right. on the Catholic Cave, and we'll be back with more on Catholic Radio Indy right after this. Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Ever since we've been on the air at Catholic Radio, we've always wanted to have billboards, but they just don't fit in our budget. And since you'll probably never see a real billboard for us, I'm going to ask you to do something, to imagine one. In your mind, picture a large, empty billboard. Yeah, that's it. Now pick a background color, any color at all. Okay, then across the top of your billboard, put just two words. Catholic Radio. Make them really big. Then, below that, in even bigger letters, put 89.1 and 90.9 FM. Wow, that's a great billboard. Now, if this billboard were real, all of your friends and neighbors could see it, and they know all about Catholic Radio. But since it's only an imaginary billboard, we're going to have to depend on you to tell your friends about Catholic Radio. Remember, Catholic Radio 89.1 and 90.9 FM. Oh, and by the way, nice choice on that background color. It really looks good. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Tim O'Donnell. Still in the cave with Mark Tuttle, trusty sidekick and producer Kent Blanford. We've been talking Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas. Ah, thank you, Kent. <laughs> the angelic doctor. Now, why, why is he called the angelic doctor? Because, you know, I've seen different different theories in different mm-hmm. places. Um, you know, one, one thing I saw um, reading about him online um, and this was a, a non-Catholic source, a non-Christian source. What are you doing reading one of those? Well, you know, you got know, to you got to read all sorts of stuff. But um, pagan. It, it it had the claim that he's known as the angelic doctor because he's sort of the the foundation of of, of Catholic theology, and 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 he he was just so holy, and his thought is so holy. And I'm like, eh, I don't really think that's why he's called the angelic doctor. Why do you think then? Well, he he was the, he's the one that really kind of went in in depth into to theories about the angels and, oh, and okay. so you know he he's got a whole he's got a whole 
book and, and treatise on on angels and the angelic intellect and what angels are. Mm. And um, yeah, I think he he's kind of when when we when we say we we know that that angels are you know sort of intellect that that is non embodied, um, pure intellect. Um, and that they know the thoughts of God um, through contemplating God. All of that came from St. Thomas. That, oh, that, okay. Uh, you know, he's the one that, that kind of wrote that out. So, All right. Um, that's, well, that's why I'd always assumed he was the angelic doctor. Plausible to me. Uh, <laughs> no argument here. No argument here. Right. All right. I wanted to bring up, um, I want to go back to Peter Kraft real quick. Okay. And the reason I wanted to bring him up is, since we've been talking about St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologiae, as opposed to the Summa Contra Gentiles, which is another great work of his, and uh, more of an, uh, I think, an attempt at apologetics, right? I think that one. Well, but, it, it's an attempt to wrestle with the, the those original scholars of Aristotle. And so, um, you know, he was writing them contrary to the pagan philosophy that was out there. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's where he deals with, with Averroes and Avicenna mm-hmm. and, and a mm-hmm. little bit of Maimonides. Right. Um, you know, that, that's where he really addresses their interpretations of Aristotle. And he says, no, Aristotle makes more sense if, if he's explaining the way we Christians see the world. Okay. That's yeah. a, So that's a great, that's a great resource. Um, I always bring up Peter Kraft again because he's got a couple of books that tie into what we've been talking about. Um, and they are because it's, it's probably not realistic that most people are going to find that have the, the time or the inclination to really slog it through the, the whole summa, either one of them. <laughs> so what's an alternative? Well, I think a, a really good alternative is a couple of Peter Kreef's books. One is um, a summa of the summa. Um, and so that's a great one. That's a much. That's a one volume, still pretty heavy lifting, 300 pager or so. Um, but then he's got another, because I think he got feedback that even that was too much for, for a lot of people. Um, again, time, effort, that's training. Sometimes you need training. Although I will say that has really kind of really great footnotes that are super helpful because, you know, getting the terminology right makes all the difference. And But he's got another one called a shorter summa of the summa. And that would be that would be another great starting place uh, to try to get in contact with uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas's you know seminal work. Right, right. So why is why is it worthwhile for a, a, an average Catholic to jump into St. Thomas and and to really try to kind of understand his thoughts? Obviously, our theology owes a lot to, to St. Thomas, but is there a, mm-hmm. like a, a daily utility? I mean, it, it, is St. Thomas just kind of useful knowledge in and of himself? Yes. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, and here's my evidence for that. An entire, um, an entire school has been dedicated to his thought. Institutes have been built, uh, schools of philosophy and theology under his patronage, taking his name, um, have endured for the last 800 years and seem like they'll endure indefinitely going forward. Um, so, and that's and that school is is really referred to as Thomism, as in Thomas. But uh, sometimes, you, some and so people who 
um, are standing in his tradition as his sort of intellectual disciples are called uh, Thomists. And so I think that's an example or that's evidence for the of one way in which his his contributions endure through time. So Thomists are not simply um, representing the thought of Aquinas, but they're rather coming in contact with it and then also finding ways to further develop, advance it and apply it into into today's setting. And since he's concerned with um, perennial principles, ideas, truths, um, he's he's invaluable. He'll never be out of date in the same way that much of what Aristotle contribute will never be out of date, much in the same way sacred scripture it has an, an, a, a lasting, timeless value that will never, never go away. Right. And I, I think especially when it comes to ethics, there are a lot of concepts in St. Thomas that oh, yeah. the world has kind of forgotten about that needs to be to, to be re, reintroduced. <laughs> they forgot about God. Once God's out of the picture, I would argue your morality collapses. Right, right. And, and you know, I mean, there, there's a very logical progression there within St. Thomas. But, you know, when, mm-hmm. when you take God out, then then you really have, have pulled the rug out from under the concept of happiness. You've snipped the stem of the rose. It right. may, may look good for a while, but eventually... A week or two later, even if you kept it in water, that rose is going to fade, wither, and croak. Right, and and as uh, you know, it's I, actually already dead. It just yep. doesn't look it. But I, I you know, I, I I wish I could come up with the phrase. But you know, happiness is a serious problem. Um, <laughs> you know, and and trying to trying there there there's a cottage industry. If you go to if you go to Barnes and Noble or or any of the books, you know, there's there's half the half the bookstore are books on how to find happiness in, in one variety or another. Mm-hmm. And, and so St. Thomas's understanding of where happiness truly lies and his understanding that, okay, ultimate perfect beatitude, you know, the, 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 the fulfillment of who we are as human beings can only be found in God. And so you have to have religion to a certain extent to find happiness. But beyond that, felicity, uh, uh, sometimes translated as imperfect happiness, um, you know, that happiness that we find here on earth, that has to be found through acts of virtue and through cultivating virtue. That type of wisdom is is invaluable. And I, you know, I can kind of see the world sort of starving for an understanding of, of okay, well, what makes us happy? And and then the opposite question of that, why, why right now am I unhappy? St. Thomas is a tremendous asset to helping people along in, uh, in figuring that out. I agree. I mean, we find happiness. Well, the whole world word happiness kind of has to be defined anyway. So I would, you know, a Catholic understanding of happiness, I think, draws more from uh, a better translation would really be something, again, barring, barring say, from Aristotle, might even be um, blessedness right. or holiness, like the, 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 the vocation of the Christian is a life of holiness and virtue. Yeah, and, and within that, so that's different from happiness. We tend to equate with an emotional state, right? Which is not what we're really after, uh, philosophically or the- theologically. Right, and that's the that's kind of the that gets to the heart of the genius of Saint Thomas Aquinas to a certain extent, because the great philosopher of blessedness, of holiness, of beatitude would be Augustine. 
Um, you know, Augustine was, was really kind of the one that, that, that said, you know, man's heart is restless until it rests in God right. and that the man is not going to find any happiness until he finds that blessedness. Meanwhile, Aristotle, the pagan philosopher that we've talked about says, no, happiness is either in the philosophical life or it's in the civic life through magnanimity and the philosophical life ought to inform that. So the philosophical life's a little higher than magnanimity, but being that the magnanimity means great spirited right so being mm. that that philanthropical great man of the the, the city that really is, is sort of the, the highest calling of man to be to be the great man to be the great one and and thomas takes the two and he synthesizes them and he comes up with the idea of perfect happiness which is beatitude blessedness holiness along the lines of what augustine said that that our intellects are, are are such that we are never going to be fulfilled until we are contemplating perfect truth in that that perfect action of god for all eternity but there's imperfect happiness that we can acquire here on earth that leads us in that direction. And so he melds the two ideas and he shows how the two ideas are related to each other. And he brings the, the greatness of, of pagan philosophy together with, with, with Augustine and Christian thought and so, and, and creates it all into one great big whole. That's fantastic. Yeah. Aquinas is the way to go. So that could kind of sum up the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And he's, he's, he, he, he's, he's relevant. Yes, he's difficult. And, and I think, Tim, you've talked about some great tools of sort of how to, to, to start, how to, to you know, mm-hmm. get going and, and begin to read. But, you know, he, he, I, I find the, the, the Summa, if you take it in little small chunks, it's wonderful food for thought. And, and, you know, once you kind of begin to understand a little bit of the, the, the questions that are being an, asked and answered, and then, and then mm-hmm. think through the objections and then think through the, the, the answers to those objections and then read St. Thomas's comments, that's great material for, for prayer. It's great material for, for, for contemplation. It's great material for, for study and for understanding the universe better. So going through the Summa, you know, kind of article by article, one article, one question a day, um, you know, I, I think is an invaluable practice for any Catholic. That, that's super helpful. Yeah, he, you can find through, uh, you know, great Catholic bookstores online or here in Indianapolis, the Celtic Cross, as an example. Um, he has like, this, people have collected like his, you can buy a book that's a collection of his sermons um, for different at different parts of the liturgical year and those are great those are great devotionals because he's 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 far more than the the the, the church's uh, preeminent philosopher and theologian because he he was a priest and he's a saint for a reason and uh again his own his, the example of his own life is is quite remarkable and worthy of imitation um and again i know the order of preachers the the dominicans of course you know, um, uh, you know, uh, study his his life and his work uh, extensively, and so um, there's just a lot of great materials out there on on St. Thomas Aquinas for us to access. And with that, we're going to wrap it up for this week. You've been listening to the Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy for Mark Tuttle for Timothy O'Donnell. I'm Kent Blanford. Until next time, be holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. 
Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Before the sun rises and long after it sets, while you're waiting in traffic or winding down from your day, when you need us, we're here. Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 